Hello and welcome to the Playground Podcast. I'm Chris Byrne and I'm your host for this series of conversations with fascinating people from the toy industry about their works, their businesses, and their lives. The Playground Podcast is supported by Global Toy News, The Toy Guy, and Beacon Media Group. This is the first episode of Season 6, and it's a bit bittersweet because we're starting it without Richard Gottlieb, but he certainly would have wanted us to continue as he was devoted to this business, the people in it, and providing service and support. In this episode, we take on a complicated issue, toy fairs. In a changing environment for everything from design to buying and selling to travel, many people we're talking to are finding just how to proceed is a bit complicated. The seemingly automatic round of toy fairs that were the norm for decades are changing in response to changing production cycles, buying cycles, consumer habits, and much more. One thing we can count on is that the industry will stay as dynamic as ever. Here at the Playground Podcast, Richard and I were always intrigued by the longer historic view while always acknowledging the current conditions. So, on the occasion of the 50th edition of the Hong Kong Toys and Games Fair, we thought we'd talk directly to the organizer to find out what they're thinking and how they are evolving. As I have in the past, I sat down in Hong Kong with Sophia Chong, Deputy Executive Director of the Hong Kong Trade Development Council, organizers of the fair. Here's our conversation. So I am here with Sophia Chong, Deputy Executive Director for the Hong Kong Trade Development Council. And we talked last year. Indeed. And when we talked last year, we were all excited to be back in Hong Kong and wondering what the 50th anniversary would be. And here it is. And here we are. It's been amazing. How does it feel to be back up and running at really a big range? Yeah, indeed. Time flies. And thank you so much, Chris, for coming back to Hong Kong and also witnessing the 50th edition of the Hong Kong Toys and Games Fair together with the Hong Kong Baby Products Fair and also the Stationery and School Supplies Fair. It's really a long story because the fair started with a humble beginning of only 71 exhibitors in 1975. So that was really the last century. And uh, along with the exponential growth of the Hong Kong toys industry, the fair has since grown and evolved into one of the world's leading toy fairs. I would like to claim that. And uh, back in 1989, after the completion of the Hong Kong Convention Exhibition Center, and we call it the CEC, the fair was moved to the CEC and developed into a bigger show. So um, more than 270 exhibitors then. But uh, still, it, is, it kept growing. And with CECs also having its first expansion in 1997, which is also a very signature year that Hong Kong returns to mainland China as the sovereign power, and the Toys Fair also further expanded. So the fair welcomed more than 800 exhibitors from 20 countries and regions then and played host to more than 20,000 buyers from around the world in 1998. So since the 2000s, the year 2000, Hong Kong's thriving uh, toy exports become a driving force behind the rapid expansion of the fair, making it one of the most prominent ones in the world. So in um, 2009, another expansion of the CECs took place, and we started collaboration with the Nuremberg Toys Fair, who brought us the first ever Toys of World of Toys Pavilion, which exists till, till now, which is on till now. So this World of Toys Pavilion actually gathered a bit of um, European 
uh, toys ex- exhibitors coming to Hong Kong. And in 2010, we had the brand name gallery launched to facilitate buyers in exploring the premium products with guaranteed quality and also innovative designs and also with international standards. And at the same time, another concurrent fair at that time, the Hong Kong Baby Products Fair, was launched. So riding on the industry trends, also we have the Kid Out World, the Smart Tech Toy Zone was also debuted respectively in 2013 and 2014. So it comes a really long way, right, right. Chris? And uh, I think uh, we talked about the pandemic. because We um, did. <laughs> yeah, because during the pandemic, our physical fairs were hugely impacted by travel restrictions. But we still managed to stay connected online by launching this AI-enabled smart business matching service called Click to Match, which uh, buyers and exhibitors were connected online and thereby creating some business leads and dialogue against our geographical limits. So eventually, our borders were fully reopened last year and the Toys and Games Fair uh, is now entering its 50th edition in 2024. And we managed to see a very strong comeback uh, of the worldwide exhibitors and buyers with the concurrent uh, baby products fair and the stationery and school supplies fair. So we are playing host to over 2,600 exhibitors from 35 countries and regions. So we are really uh, very grateful um, for you here and also for all our exhibitors and buyers coming back to Hong Kong to celebrate with us this milestone. It, it really is amazing. And I love being in Hong Kong. And I've been coming long enough. I've been coming since 1996. Wow, so, last century. <laughs> uh, yeah, in the last century. And I remember at the 1997 show, the extension was not yet finished. Mm. And they took all of us overseas journalists in a bus oh. up to where the stage is now. And we had to wear hard hats. And we, we say, this is in July where the, where the handover is going to be. And I can remember sitting back home in New York and watching that on the television and going, oh, my goodness, I was actually up in that space. It was, it's pretty amazing. But you've always been a leader in showcasing what's new. And you mentioned the Kidult world, and that's become such a huge word around the international toy industry. But I want everyone to know that you guys did it first. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it was, I've been on a soapbox uh, about this in uh, 2013. So what are you seeing as new ex- and expanding in, in that area? Because it really is, I've heard estimates that it was 25% of the, of the toy industry. We certainly see a lot of creativity, some wonderful... Um, Hong Kong artists doing things like this this guy Tick Ka from East doing some beautiful stuff with the Ninja Turtles what do you see as as in the future so we can get the jump on it <laughs> thanks for asking uh, this kid out world and uh, also remembering that we are the first one to start it in 2013 so I think um, with time goes by we found um, really the a lot of adults are really kids because they really have appreciation for a lot of collectible toys so this year I think uh, we introduced some new elements as well for the kid out world in Horse 3B we introduces a collectible toy zone uh, and also thank Thanks to the participation for the first time of our Hong Kong Brand Toy Association. So they are hosting a group pavilion at the Toys Fair for the first time and promoting our Hong Kong's innovative brands and collectible toys. So I th- I'm sure that you have seen the Ultraman figurine oh, yeah. and also the 1.5 meter tall Hong Kong machine model outside the hall and also giving an impression and also giving the photo opportunities for our buyers. So I think um, kid outs will continue to grow 
grow from strength to strength because um, a lot of uh, high purchasing power uh, Population are really into this um, uh, figurine uh, industries, and they are also really collecting not just one, but a lot of them over the years. So we think uh, this also gives us a huge potential for the kid out zone to grow. So this is our uh, this is our wish. Yeah. And and it's not just the Ultramans. And I bet somebody's going to buy that figure. I bet somebody's <laughs> going to go home with that figure after the show ends today. We're talking on Thursday, January 11th. It is the final day of the show. But it's not just the action figures, the turtles, the Ultraman. I've seen Nintendo. I've seen Barbie. I've seen all kinds of things interpreted. Harry Potter, things interpreted for the collector. So it really is a wonderful area. And I've posted a lot of pictures on Global Toy News about that. So you also mentioned your click-to-match program because one of the things that I think Hong Kong TDC has always done well is you've had one of the best business matching systems I've ever encountered, and it's it's really done well. So you've done both the in-person and the virtual fair this year. What are the advantages of each of those? Yeah, thanks for asking, and thanks for really acknowledging acknowledging us as uh, really among the first to do this uh, virtual online to offline and also back to online, uh, all this ecosystem under the new branding of Exhibition Plus. So this E-Plus model actually en- covers also the uh, click-to-match services and also the, uh, the scan-to-match services as well as our e-batch all in one go under this uh, very simple download of an app called HKTDC Marketplace app. So why we are putting so much efforts and investments into this uh, online and offline uh, integration is because we truly believe that after the pandemic, I think the um, behavior and also the industry practice are also changing a bit. And uh, you'll see a lot of people using uh, online browsing their products before actually connecting with the uh, concerned uh, exhibitors and also the factory or the supplier. So that's why a lot of activities are actually going online. And we really want to uh, capture all these um, digital footprints so that we can have big data analytics and also Particularly, what you mentioned, Chris, very rightly, is the Click to Match, which is an AI-enabled smart business matching platform, which really operates quite well. Because before the physical fair actually happens, we have a one-month period for the exhibitors to upload all their uh, latest information, photos, and also the uh, product information onto the internet on this uh, click-to-match platform. And then seven days before the show opens, we actually invite our buyers to register and also to lock lock on the uh, the system and also to uh, connect with our exhibitors so thereby creating a lot of business uh, meetings um, for those buyers who can come to the show of course they will meet the suppliers on the booths on the stands physically but for uh, quite some of them because of various reasons that they couldn't attend the show physically they can still continue the dialogue and also the browsing the meetings with the suppliers they like over the, this click to match system even seven days after the physical fair is over. So by this, we are expanding and extending the sourcing journey and also the uh, meeting time of these exhibitors and buyers. So we think this is becoming very effective. And uh, also adding to that is a scan to match service, which I'm not sure, Chris, whether you have noticed. I did see it. I ah. tried it upstairs. On yeah. the, and there's uh, a whole area of, of uh, displays of products and cases and yes. QR codes on exactly. them. And I clicked on them to see. I went 
right to where it was and how I could get in touch with the company. It was pretty pretty seamless. I'm so happy that you really <laughs> used it. I mean, <laughs> because we are encouraging a lot of our visitors, buyers, and exhibitors. They use that QR code just with um, the scanner in the HKTDC Marketplace app. Very easily, they can uh, uh, they can note down, um, bookmark all these uh, suppliers that they would like to continue the dialogue, and also they will continue this uh, meetings either online or physically. So uh, in a way, they are really matching with each other in uh, a proactive manner. So we think that these uh, services are really adding value, a lot of value to our exhibition uh, services. And uh, we already collected quite some um, uh, feedback from our buyers and exhibitors that they also found it very user-friendly. And they also set up a lot of online meetings using our click-to-match services. And they also met with uh, potential suppliers even after the fair is over. Right, right. So we have experienced this in our previous trade fairs, and we are very confident that they are also using it during the toy show. One of the things that's been an international conversation is what is the role of a toy fair in the overall toy industry? And I spoke to John Tong, the chairman of the HKTDC Toys Advisory Committee back in October, and I've spoken to him here at the show, and we've talked about how this show really is becoming a gateway to Asia and the ASEAN countries. How are you redefining the Mm. fair to be able to serve those communities and be a resource for them? Yeah, it is a very good question and very valid one as well, because uh, since we are in Hong Kong, so that's why we should be serving uh, predominantly also the Asian community. So that's why um, John also shared with you that uh, actually uh, our Hong Kong Toys and Games Fair is actually the gateway to Asia as well. So um, I think uh, the figures uh, would speak for themselves because let me quote some figures because um, the uh, Statista predicts that the toy market revenue in Asia for last year would reach uh, already over 38 billion US dollars and would continue to grow at an average of 3.5% from 2023 to 2028 surpassing the expected 2.8% global growth. So this illustrates the point that ASEAN and Asian toy market are really growing as a faster pace uh, amidst the world's uh, growth, global growth of the toys market. And the International uh, Trade Center also reports that the sizable emerging markets such as mainland China, Indonesia, Vietnam, India, and continue to drive global toy sales. And particularly for Hong Kong, I think for the past two years, ASEAN has also become a key export market Mm. for our Hong Kong toy industry with its share of the Hong Kong toy exports growing from less than 10% in 2021 to almost 18% in 2022. And between January to November last year, the figure already reached over 20%, signifying the great potential of toy exports in Southeast Asia. So I think the demands for toys and games in Asia has been boosted by our region's, <coughs> excuse me, by our region's young demographic, our growing household incomes and the rising popularity of the Asia's pop culture and also the entertainment brands. So I think Hong Kong does have a role to play amidst all these Asian potential growing toys markets. It's really lucrative. So that's why we have to invite all the key players and all the potential importers, shopping centers from Asia coming to Hong Kong to source because they would also need all kinds of um, fascinating and growing toy uh, uh, areas from different uh, from different territories. So we think we we really believe firmly believe that Hong Kong Toys and Games Fair have really a very good and important role to play on this one. And you do a lot to support 
buyers and exhibitors. I've seen buying missions. I've seen pavilions. I've seen all of this kind of stuff. Tell me a little bit about what you do to support the buyers and the exhibitors to make this a destination for them. Yeah, thanks for the question, because I think services are of utmost importance in a human industry. And when we have physical marketplace coming back, uh, we, of course, are very mindful about um, how would uh, they uh, navigate uh, in Hong Kong. And when they come to Hong Kong Toys and Games Fair, how to help them connect and facilitate their business discussion. So exhibitors wise, I think we have provided a lot of uh, information regarding flights, hotels, and even we offer some kind of discounts And uh, because we realize that nowadays the flights from long haul are really, really expensive. Yeah. So that's why we would like to offer a bit of incentives for especially our buyers to come from abroad. So that's why we have uh, been having a very careful um, uh, categorization of our buyers as well, because some comes in groups such as the buying mission. So we render a lot of support through our overseas offices because TDC has more than 50 offices all over the world. So through our offices, we render support to the buying mission uh, heads of the mission to help them organize all these um, members to come to, to source in Hong Kong. And also we have a, a very important buyers like the VIP, which is the big bulk uh, purchase buyers. And we also extend a lot of um, uh, uh, services such as the flights or hotels, accommodation for them so that to hassle-free uh, stay in Hong Kong. And at the same time, we also uh, invite new buyers buyers from new markets. So we particularly offer incentives for them uh, also in their travels. And at the same time for mainland, sometimes we will have trains and also all these um, uh, ground support, ground transports uh, to facilitate them uh, going across the border. So all these kind of uh, facilitation, we are we are very uh, organized. And uh, also we have a very good systems of facilitating all these. So our buyers and exhibitors are very, very appreciative of all these. But above everything else, I think the business matching is of utmost importance for them because, after all, uh, apart from all these uh, uh, travels, uh, easy easiness, uh, they really want to uh, uh, use the least time to see the most of um, of the exhibitors and the suppliers. So that's why we have um, the AI system, which is online, and also we have a team of um, business matching uh, experts, our colleagues uh, with a physical body. I think they are really offering very good uh, in-depth and personal services for those who come and ask for our services. So I think we, we really organize all kinds of online and also physical uh, uh, services for our exhibitors and buyers, and we hope that they, they feel at home yeah, in Hong Kong. Well, yeah, I was going to say you forgot one thing. Oh, really? Yeah, which is what a wonderful city Hong Kong <laughs> is and how, how easy it is to get around on either the MTR or the Star Ferry, how much world-class food and restaurants there are here, uh, how welcoming the people are. I mean, this is really one of my, my favorite cities to be in in the world. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. You're really one of our ambassadors because you really experience every facet, every aspect of our everyday life in Hong Kong. I mean, the food, the transport, and it, it rings a bell because I thanks for tell, uh, thanks for reminding me because when you talk about the uh, MTR and the transport, actually these two years, Hong Kong did open a new MTR our right. station, which is the Exhibition Center Station. And you know what? This Exhibition Center Station is really just three minutes walk from our Exhibition Center, but it connects really the bulk 
of the Northern Territories of Hong Kong. That means, and also the, from the North Territories, also connect to the mainland, meaning that the mainland buyers and exhibitors can really take the train very easily, and then coming to Luo Hu, which is one of the uh, borders uh, crossing the borders to Hong Kong, and then immediately with the Hong Ham Station, which a lot of uh, buyers might have known this name, the Hong Ham Station in Hong Kong, they can connect directly within just one station to come to the exhibition center across the harbor to Wan Chai. So they all uh, told us that it's really, really convenient. Yeah. So thank you for bringing <laughs> us up. I think these are all infrastructure, also uh, meaning the, the, the ease and the convenience of doing business in Hong Kong. And it, it does make a difference if you're, if you're not running all over the place. It really does if you can be in one place. It is a lot to walk, and you do get a little tired, but but <laughs> but it's all worth it. So last year was really a transitional year as we came out of the pandemic. And what are some of the lessons you've learned in the 50th version, and what's coming up? Can you uh, give me a hint of what's coming up in the 51st edition of the fair? Well, you always ask that. I do, uh, yeah, I do. Chris, I think it's a very important um, uh, really <laughs> foresight of what's going to happen. So we don't have a really crystal ball in front of us, but uh, what I gather from the industry experts, I think um, we, we a lot of us are really being more and more environmentally friendly. Mm. So we are very conscious of the global warming, all these uh, impacting our daily life Lives as well as our business. So we, we also, uh, for this 50th edition, for the first time, we set up the Green Toy Zone, which I think in the years to come, it is going to grow exponentially because a lot of uh, our toys manufacturers and buyers as well are very environmentally conscious. So I think this trend will not go away because in terms of the materials, in terms of the packaging, and also in terms of even the design and the concept of the toys, I think they, they really have a lot of... Um, emphasis on going green. So I think this is really one of the key trends that we also uh, uh, we also uh, identifies. And apart from that, because of technology, so technology are really going into the toys industry a lot. So we have seen a lot of AI. Uh, in the past, we see the virtual uh, augmented reality, the virtual reality. So a lot of this kind of um, technology enhanced toys games and also uh, products are, are thriving in the industry. And also uh, integrating with the educational part because we see a lot of education the schools and especially the primary and the secondary schools they are deploying a lot of educational toys which mm. also hinge on the AI and also the um, uh, VR and AR uh, technology to enhance the learning experience in the schools so we think that these are also the kinds of trends that we have identified for the uh, coming years and at the same time I think the human experience in our fair is also most importance. Just now when you asked me about the services, because I didn't think about the services, but it's actually fun. For example, the horse racing event. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in the evening, which you also attended yeah, yourself. Yeah, of course. So uh, I, I hope you had some fun there. I did, and I don't gamble, but I like the horses. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, because it's the atmosphere yeah. and also the uh, ambience that you would like to, to, to immerse yourself in, and also the networking. Right. Because after all, I think apart from the online experience, the physical, face-to-face, -face, the human touch is irreplaceable. So I think um, people do uh, appreciate and also uh, cherish the kind of um, networking events that we are trying very very hard to uh, put people together and also to know new 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 contacts. So this is also a way of uh, growing the toys fair. We've only got a couple of minutes left, uh, but 
I was I've been walking around the show for three days now into the fourth day, and I've not seen very many Americans here. And but the ones I've seen and I've run into and some senior executives have been very excited about what they're seeing, whether or not it's the ODM or the OEM. And because I think that if you haven't been here in a while, it's you may not appreciate how sophisticated the manufacturing and the mainland Chinese companies in particular have become in design. It's a world away from where it was 20 years ago. It, it really is. So, you know, I've been encouraging Americans to get here. I want you, so I'm going to give you the microphone, Sophia, to tell Americans and other people why they really do need to be at the Hong Kong Toys and Games Fair. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> I think you're one of our really spokesperson, a, a very a, a very authoritative one, because over the years you have witnessed our growth, and you have also seen um, the, the strength and the uh, diversity, and also the tenacity of the Toys, toys and Games show. And uh, I would really love to have more American uh, buyers and exhibitors uh, and industry experts coming to the toy show because, as I as I uh, mentioned, that because Hong Kong is is in the heart of Asia and also Hong Kong is also witnessing the growth, the the the, the exponential growth of the ASEAN markets. So not only mainland China are really buying a lot of toys nowadays, and we attracted a lot of mainland Chinese, uh, no matter in the supply side or also the buy side because China itself is also a big domestic market. Right. And uh, if you if you realize that this year we have an ODM haul, which means that uh, for those who don't have its own proper brands, however, they have a very high quality and almost guaranteed international standards that uh, they can have the very quality toys production. And all these capabilities were being uh, focused and put together under the ODM hub haul, and, uh, which has received very good feedback because a lot of brands, for example, from Americas, from Europe, they are also looking for high capability manufacturing uh, suppliers to 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 partner together to have the toys uh, coming out. And at the same time, we have also uh, a lot of um, uh, ASEAN uh, buyers coming over to Hong Kong to source. And at the same time, they also bring in a good suppliers chain. So that's why you found uh, the quality of manufacturing in ASEAN are also growing. And I think this vibrant situation couldn't be missed. So that's why I think a lot of uh, long-haul buyers and exhibitors should come to Hong Kong to look at the trends, to look at the growth, and to look at at the connections with Asia. So Hong Kong is really the place to go for Asia. So I hope I can uh, can convince you to come. (laughs) Well, I hope hope you do as well, because I think that as a lot of companies are looking for efficiencies and they're looking for design, especially you mentioned the ODM Hall, that, that is a, a reason enough to come here, uh, I think, for, for a lot of, of U.S. manufacturers. Well, Sophia Chong, Deputy Executive Director of the Hong Kong Trade Development Council, I always look forward to talking to you. Thank you so much. Me too. Same here. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming to Hong Kong. And please come again and again. <laughs> okay, thank you. And we'll be right back with the end cap. When we began this podcast, Richard and I created the NCAP as a feature where we discussed current issues in the toy industry and our sometimes different takes on them. Right up until the end of his life, Richard was deeply concerned and engaged in issues that affected the toy industry, intrigued or sometimes annoyed us. I hope to continue that tradition and bring in some others to spar with, intellectually only, of course, throughout the season. 
One of the events of the past year that I've been thinking about a lot has been the Barbie movie. How could I not? With box office of $1.44 billion so far, it's a smash hit. As I watched it, perhaps for the third or fourth time, I'm not sure, I began to think that it was a movie that could only have been made now. The boldness with which Greta Gerwig played with all the iconography, emotionalism, and totemistic elements of the girl from Willows, Wisconsin, could really have only happened as the first generation of Barbie players are grandparents, the next one dealt with all the developments of the doll and the rising perceptions in some quarters that Barbie represented an impossible ideal, and today's kids who see a brand that is diverse and completely inclusive. The 65-year arc of Barbie's development gives us a unique historic look at how a brand, which is so embedded in our culture, has reflected our times. That Barbie, at the end, spoiler alert, becomes a fully realized person, however, has always been the inherent potential of Barbie play, right from Ruth Handler's initial concept for adapting a German novelty doll. Three, almost four now, generations have projected onto that inert lump of human-shaped plastic their imaginations, dreams, and developing identities. Fashion, times, kids, they've all changed. But the one constant Barbie has always represented is possibility. That was the joyful, and admittedly startling in a, in a good way, effect of the final scene of the movie. Barbie, thanks to a lot of brilliant and committed people, has aged very well. There was another movie that debuted recently, also about girls, that has not aged well. Tina Fey's Mean Girls. The adaptation of the Broadway musical for the screen is, in my opinion, tone deaf. And I'm not just talking about the score, though that too would qualify. It's a movie about competition among girls where fashion rules, social hierarchies are toxic, and getting the boy is the ultimate prize. Perhaps that played better 20 years ago, but despite some really great performances by young actors and a few bits of lip service to more positive, supportive roles for women... The new movie is dated and, quite frankly, offensive. And before I go, I want to go back to Barbie and make a comment about Ken and why Gerwig's take on him is so great. Ken was first introduced in 1961, two years into Barbie's run. At the time, girls up to age 11 were still playing with Barbie. For these girls, dating, and in this case, boys, would have featured in their play, as Barbie was always about being a teenager and doing teenage things which girls aspired to. Ken had a role, or at least a purpose, in play. As the core Barbie player's age became younger and younger, dating wasn't something her fans thought about or even understood. Suddenly, Ken had no purpose. So, no wonder he turned to horses. Actually, a brilliant twist on all the horse fiction of the 40s, 50s, and 60s. But that's an issue we'll take up another time. One final note. I've heard that because of the success of the Barbie movie, there's now a rush to make other toy-based movies. I'm certainly not running a studio or a toy company, but I'd say "Mm, not so fast, or at least offer a caveat. Barbie wasn't a movie about a toy. It was a classic quest like Beowulf, The Odyssey, or The Hobbit for you lit folks. So when you can find a deeply human story that just happens to be expressed through a toy brand, then you might be onto something. At least, that's my take. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Byrne, and stay tuned for more on the Playground Podcast.